Hi, this message is for the wheel nerds, Todd and Chuck. We're going to file an injunction against you. It's going to be $2 million per infringement. You guys got three infringements. If I were you, I would take it off the Internet immediately. Immediately. If you don't take it off the Internet, I'm going to tell you guys, I'm promising you, I'm going to sue your asses. Hi, and welcome to Wheel Nerds. This is episode 103. I'm Chuck. And I'm Todd. We're going to be talking about motorcycles. And my ass, my ass. What's going to happen to my ass, Chuck, after it's been sued? That intro was courtesy of our newest fan. Our newest fan, the trademark troll. <laughs> Hi. How's it going? <laughs> We note, we note that you made the threat three days and, uh, your credibility is, uh, going away as a week and change passes. He still hasn't talked to the lawyer. In fairness, his credibility went down the first time he didn't talk to the lawyer and basically as soon as he tried to say two million dollars, it completely disappeared. Two million dollars. Yes, because. Per infringement. Mm-hmm. And I, I, Took note, you know, looking at his three listed infringements. They're all the same one. Well, the first one is WordPress, which I already told him to pound sand. Pound sand, yeah. The second one is Podbay FM, which I, I imagine will tell him to pound sand. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the third one is my box. Mm-hmm. And by the way, pound sand. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm actually imagining the really funny conversations he's having with a lawyer trying to file an injunction. <laughs> I want to. I want sue these guys because they're using my trademark uh-huh. uh, are they are they are they using it on a thing that's just like yours did they copy your thing well no <laughs> is it like your thing it's in english <laughs> yes just like it same letters and everything <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's just uh, I, that continues to be a thing mm-hmm. yep yep and we will milk all the funny out of it we possibly can mm-hmm. please but- by all means leave us more insane messages Wow, he was he's angry. He's going to have to up the insanity level on the next one. I mean, the next one's going to look like the Jerry Springer show if he wants it to be <laughs> remotely in keeping with the pre- I mean, he's got to up himself, right? You can't you can't just like drop back down to sane. He needs to like beep out some of his own language. Ooh, yeah, that would be good. Yeah, self-beeping. Yeah. Yeah. But oh, speaking of uh funny entertaining things, mm-hmm. there's something I have to show you. Yeah. I have a, a uh, we're doing a, a remote thing because i have a surprise for you okay i'll leave my shoes on then yeah leave your shoes on okay definitely leave your pants on there's something special i need to show you okay we'll just we just got we got it's in the garage all right uh i'm gonna need you to put this blindfold on um your house is full of stick oh my god the lobsters not safe not safe make make sure there's a step Uh, watch out for that yeah no, it's, it's possibly explosive. Ow. Stay here, Bell. Uh, oh, good. There's a dog running around my feet. Yep, yep. So, yeah, you, okay. see, you can't see, right? You're good? No. no. Can't see? All okay. right. Come on, come on in. Okay. Hold my hand. Okay. Uh, uh, that's a little, that little awkward. That's not my hand. Okay. So, okay. it's your garage. Yep, it's I, my garage. I the sound of your garage. Uh, I'm just going to open the door here so that we don't die. Okay. All right. Uh, okay, so I want you to listen to something. All right. Um, what am I listening for? You'll see. Here, just uh, listen. Listen for a minute here. Just hold the microphone thingy. Yeah, just hold it. Don't look. Okay. But at what? Uh, Key fuel pump. Chuck, what did you do? I got something new. Yeah, I don't. If that's what I think it is. It's looking at you. I don't think that counts as new. It's looking right at you. 
It definitely. What? I, oh my god. Oh my god. The jokes that write themselves are back. Yes. <laughs> what? I, well, well, you bought another Buell. I bought another Buell. You, you sir, are a glutton for punishment. Another Ulysses. And it's red. It red. Mm. This is a 2008. Mm-hmm. It's got uh, about 15. Let me look. With a really, really quiet, stealthy pipe on it. Yes, yes. No one ever hears me coming. No, certainly not. Uh, let's see. It's got uh, just under 16,000 on the clock. Mm-hmm. Um, guy did some interesting stuff to it. Medium explodiness. Yeah. More lights. Wow, that, those are lights. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> uh, that's my... Oh, the carbon monoxide There's the carbon monoxide detector. detector. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. You you got another Buell. I got another Buell. I, I must say, it looks pretty fancy and does not appear to have exploded yet, which puts it a damn sight ahead of the previous one. Yeah, I've been writing it for a few days now. It hasn't failed yet. Good, good. That's good. <laughs> when do you want to go on a trip? Well, possibly we could actually do the Route 12 trip now and not explode. That would be pretty neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and the guy had done, well, in addition to the lights, he's put the air scoops on both sides. Mm-hmm. He's yep, changed yep. the pegs. Um, She's done. She's taken pretty good care of it. Yeah, it's nicely put together. It looks looks like almost new. It's it spooky the, nice. Rode it from the East Coast to uh, Arizona. Mm. And then left it there and fled <laughs> in the middle of the night. As most Buell owners are wont to do. <laughs> Listeners, stay tuned. The yeah. fun is coming. You know, I, oh, it's got the factory hand war grip warmers. So, so even extensions. even as much as you love the versus, you just we were you've been dreaming too much of the Buell. I mean, what? It, I, I blame uh, Chris from the pace. Really? Mm-hmm. He ran across it, did he? Uh, no, no, he didn't run across this bike. He was just posting on Facebook something about you know, hey, him and his girlfriend should buy Buells. Mm-hmm. And I got so excited about it, I really bought a Buell. I bought a Buell. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not getting rid of the Versus. You have a condition. Because uh, the Versus is clearly, you know, it, it has its place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Particularly if this becomes a project bike. Yes, yes. So, yeah. But now you have a Buell again. I've got my Ulysses again. And i got to tell you, it's I love riding this bike. I, mm-hmm. It's so visceral. You, you never... You never... You never dream of any other bike in my presence, but the Ulysses you always talk about. So, okay. Yeah. Great. And I'm thrilled because now we just have free material all the time for all the show. All day long. Non-stop. That's why. I, I don't even have to repair shows anymore. <laughs> that was the whole point. Your, your face is a little peaked. I probably sucked in a lot of carbon monoxide in my yeah. thoroughly filled garage. <laughs> this is like when the Earl's exhaust was leaking and I was getting headaches and couldn't figure out why. <laughs> Yeah, I am. I, I got to be honest. I, there's a part of me that's like, I can't believe he bought another Buell. And there's a part of me that's like, this was inevitable. It was inevitable. You and have never liked a bike as much as you liked that Buell. And the price was right. It, mm-hmm. was, it was a good price. <laughs> Please take it. Oh, God. Please. I don't want it anymore. <laughs> You're a saint, sir. <laughs> the guy I bought it from. Um, interestingly enough, is uh, says he worked for MMI mm-hmm. as their their go to Buell guy. Really? So apparently he knows the Buell. We, need, and we out. need to get this guy on the show. When things go wrong, when <laughs> not if <laughs> he's he's who I'm going to call. <laughs> we definitely need to get him on the show. <laughs> so you sold Chuck your Buell. Was it a trap? And he'll be like. No. It gets better. It's not his Buell. 
It's not his Buell. No, it's Oh like, my god, he's selling it for a friend. It's like his brother-in-law. Oh lord. Who wrote it from, you know, who wrote it mm-hmm. to and his house and then left. Ran screaming. <laughs> <laughs> Away! <laughs> I'm free! The curse has been lifted! <laughs> Touched it last! <laughs> not it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, I mean, it looks great. Runs really no, smooth. No doubt. Which, it's in killer shape. Runs much smoother than my other Buell ever did. And it's a 2008, so it's got all the improvements, no. like the, the steering lock. The less exploding. Uh, that wasn't I actually, said less, not none. It wasn't, it wasn't listed as a bullet, bullet point on the. Oh. Oh, crap. <laughs> they did some stuff with the oil cooler. Maybe that contributes to the, the ex- less exploding. It's possible, although I did notice your oil cooler is mounted suspiciously outboard. Um, yeah, that's how it is on the Buell. That might tickle if you ever drop it. <laughs> that could get expensive. It's got a... It's a Buell. Everything's going to be... It's a dead bike. <laughs> You're going to find a specialist in a far-off land. <laughs> it's a dead, dead brand. <laughs> Good point. Yes, never mind. Without I, the market saturation of something like, you know, a Russian bike. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Spooky. I have I have a nibble on the arrow. You do? Is that any of our listeners? Of it? No, it doesn't seem to be one of our listeners. If you are one of our listeners, please you know let me know because I'll give you a better deal. Oh, oh, we, this this show episode sponsored by a 2007 Euro Patrol available maybe now. The Todd special. Mm. It it could go quick. He's got nibbles. Mm. Who do you have a nibble from? Someone uh, rich? Uh, no, somebody. Someone adventury. Mm, well, he's got a big dog. Yes. Big clearly. drooly dog. Okay. So he's probably adventure. Yep. He says he wants something he can ride around with his big drooly dog in. And I said, you know what? <laughs> this will do the job. I've checked. <laughs> holds dog, holds drool, comes with free Labrador hair and drool. <laughs> in up? every sidecar. Has he come out to look at it? Not yet. He's a local book. Yeah, he's a local. Okay. So he's going to take a look. Okay. I'm psyched. Could, could be, this could be the one. Mm-hmm. And then I'll have an empty garage and I'll sit there going, hmm, maybe I should buy a Buell. No, I want to stay married. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just open the garage door one day and you'll be sitting there. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Why? I've decided to name this one Christine. Okay. Because it's red. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it and, fits. Yeah. <laughs> and the obvious. <laughs> I'm still happy I got that bike. I, it's, it's, I, 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 it feels so nice to be on a bike and it's got character. It has personality. Mm-hmm. The Versus is a bike. Yep. The, the Buell is a living, breathing, somewhat cranky thing. Mm-hmm. Indefinable thing. I, 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 you don't have to explain to me, man. I ride, <laughs> I ride the, the lesser of the V-Stroms. I ride a Euro Patrol. Uh, <laughs> I, I know I'm all about character. I know, you know, so, uh, anyone, Who's listening to the show that knows me right now is rolling their eyes. John's eyes have probably fallen out of his head. I think they've actually rolled through his head and down his throat <laughs> and come out of his ass. Just and then he's just laughing. Yeah, most likely. He'll probably show up here just just to point and laugh <laughs> Ding at Ding dong. <laughs> hey, oh hi John. <laughs> Slam. <laughs> and you know, people will refuse to ride with me places. <laughs> no, I, I I won't refuse to ride with you places, but this time if it breaks down, I'm just fucking leaving. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm broken down. Bye. Fair, Fair enough, we're you, even. Now. This time you brought this on yourself. <laughs> and we're even. Yeah, exactly. We're we, even, we, so. we both rescued each other once, so we're even, so so fuck you. <laughs> you you and your horrible death machine can just live wherever it stops. <laughs> Buy a house there. 
It's your only hope. You're going to wake up one night, oh, put, poke your head out your tent, and it'll just be there. <laughs> All its lights on. <laughs> yeah, keep in mind, though, at the, the, the age and range my Strom is getting to, it's, it's you know, it's developing its own slightly disturbing character. Mm-hmm. Not least of the leaking of the oil and things, but, mm-hmm. you know. And the missing light. <laughs> this, this one's got extra lights. Yeah, I, I had extra lights. Yeah, yeah, it true. fell off. Yeah, I remember when that was. It was dangling off. and just bouncing off. Yeah, and I, I remember, figured I better rip that off. I remember it because I pointed it out to you. I was like, "Is it supposed to do that?" <laughs> I was like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> nope." Why did you notice that? <laughs> Damn you, Chuck! Mm-hmm. I was lighting up the ground under the bike. It's ground effects. It's ground effects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, everyone needs ground effects on their bikes. Damn straight. Fuck yeah! Especially if you have a particularly blingy bike that can benefit from them. So why do you have them? <laughs> Nobody likes you. Ah. Especially if you have a really blingy bike like brace yourself, Chuck. This oh. one this one's gonna hit you hard. Okay. Like a solid gold Gixer one thousand. What? No. Solid gold Gixer one thousand. Even the freaking wheels, I don't know how you even do that. He just painted them. How do you stop and drive when you do that? I well look, see uh, it's on a trailer. Yeah, okay. It's, Never mind. He can't. Wow. Yeah. So this this person has painted the entire bike gold, including like rubber parts like grips. Uh, I can't tell if the headlight's gold or Middle not. Middle of chain is gold. Mm-hmm. Tons of juice. Crazy juice. Mm. <laughs> he wants 5,800 for Oh, look at that Crazy nice little juice. dent. Yeah, it's a nice dent in the tank, too, it's, where it's, it's falling gold. over on the side. <laughs> it's, a gold it's a gold dent. dent. <laughs> and there gold it. dents are worth more than regular dents. He's pushed it out of the trailer to park mm-hmm. next to other bikes to make it look like it's rideable. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, hey. Wait a second. What's that next to it? Uh, that appears to be a GS. No? No? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it's GS. Everywhere I look, I see Buell. <laughs> that's that's not a Buell check. That's a, that's a BMW <sighs> GS. Oh, shut up. They look very different. Well, it's good. Extremely different. The sort of... It's know. not crazy juice enough. Yeah. Wow. So he painted the time. Uh, he painted all kinds of things gold. Like, I mean, the first time you sit on this bike, you're going to walk away with a gold, gold ass. ass. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a good idea. Uh, no. Why would you no. do the tires? So that it's gold. Oh. Because if you don't, then it would... No, not, not gold. gold. Did he he paint the he did paint the brakes or he's got gold brakes? Uh, gold I, I, it's hard to say. He might actually have painted the brake rotors, which is a little frightening. Ah, uh, yeah, this bike isn't supposed to go anywhere. No, wow. no, no. You're supposed to appreciate the the dentedness of it. Yeah, a gold dent. That's horrible. Rubbers and rotors and middle of the chain is gold. So awesome. Tons of juice. Crazy juice. Don't paint the rubbers, kids. You you put holes in them that way. <laughs> Tons of juice. Do you think he means power or? I think he means gold paint. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, tons of juice. Crazy gold paint. Yeah. Okay. I buy that. Wow. A lot of people sent this ad to us. Once, yeah. This, once this hit the internet, this was like, <laughs> wheelers must see this ad. It's gold. What have they done? The terrible things. Wow. What? I can just see riding, I can just see myself riding down the Vegas strip on this thing. <laughs> oh my tires don't grip the ground! <laughs> this was a terrible idea! Tires don't grip, rotors don't grip. Sir, sir, you appear to have done something to your pants. They're gold! 
I mean, you almost have to wear gold pants so that no one can tell you've been riding on a gold painted oh, seat. Oh, you know what you gotta do? What's that? You gotta paint yourself up like those living statue guys. Uh, yes, that's who this bike that's is who, for. Yeah, that's who this bike is for. This is maybe it was built by a living statue guy. Yes, and maybe he got out of the business. This was his prop. You know, my other favorite thing about this is hmm? is the fact that if you read the title very carefully again, you'll find that it does not say what you think it says. You thought it said solid gold gixer. In fact, it says soid. <laughs> soid gold. I could totally see this now. This bike was parked. The dude was a living statue, Billy. Yep. Yeah, living Billy statue. Posing yeah, next doing to like it. Billy posing. Oh, he's standing next to it in color match gold leathers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. People are throwing dollars in his mm-hmm. hat. Yeah, and he just decided after a while that that business was just wasn't for him, mm-hmm. and you know it was time to move on to something more profitable. You ever see the solid gold cowboy that broke character? No. Yeah, there's a video of him on YouTube. Mm-hmm. He's sitting there, and this guy comes up, and he's just like touching his face. Oh, yuck! And finally, the guy just. Reaches Wales. back and just knocks him right in the face, and he falls on the ground. <laughs> and then he almost like it looks like he's the video stopped, but it looks like the guy's going back to his pose. Back to cowboy pose. <laughs> the cowboy hit me. No, he didn't. Don't be stupid. That's a statue. <laughs> no one's all thing. <laughs> wow. Yep. Oh. So there it is. The solid gold gixer. You too could have it for uh, almost six grand. Uh, no. That's actually three grand of paint and three grand of gixer. I think. Wow, that's horrible. Hey, there's we have a, an ad for a Buell. <laughs> Dear suckers. <laughs> this is not the ad for my Ulysses. Okay, this is for a Buell X1 Lightning. Lightly and lovingly crashed. Run fine. Needs few parts. Easy fixer upper. That is a pack of vicious lies. <laughs> <laughs> Easy implies you can get parts. <laughs> Needs few parts. Good fucking luck. <laughs> you will be the star of your show with your purple frame and boss, Merc and Torque. Merca! So much the bike to ride with your friends on their sanitary Hondas and such. Mm-hmm. All the legendary rock and roll cliches apply here. Well, with the zest, the fortunate to own such a rare and beastly ride. True. A little rash adds street cred to the rep. Mm-hmm. Chuck Yeager blasted the soundberry in the X1, and so will you, hearing the heart of Milwaukee's finest beat away between your legs like some kind of demented Claremont lounge dancer with a Vance and Hines megaphone spinning all the the latest when you get the parts. I, I I don't know if that sounds like something I want. <laughs> Real uh, riders don't need all that alphabet soup nonsense. CBRR. We agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Enough, Enough with that claptrap. X1. One letter, one number is all you need. And at this price, that moniker is a bargain. Good luck getting parts. Jesus Christ on a crutch. Did Jerry Reed saddle himself with those meaningless characters? No. He went east and down with for all the beer with two vowels, three consonants, cleverly arranged. Do him one better. X1. Seriously, this is a nice call pack that can be a great project or an easy resto, assuming you can get parts, which you can't. Well, he says it runs fine. Maybe he just needs maybe, a few parts. Yeah. It's this, this ad actually comes from a shop. Yeah. That's trying to sell this bike. Oh, so okay. <laughs> some guy showed up with it to have them fix it and then just ran <laughs> as fast <laughs> as he could. Just it last. Run. Yeah. So it's a little rushed up on the airbox thingy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I guess if you wanted an X1, they, they have one there. Mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah. I've got an Ulysses. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. You already have as much mule as one man can handle. I, I can't wait to get my girlfriend on the back of that thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. We're going to sit in the garage, uh-huh. sitting on it. Uh-huh. Great. I'm, I might even coast it down the driveway. Wow. Yeah. She'll help, she'll help me push it back up. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I have faith they'll run. It's important to always bring a passenger with you on a buell so you have someone to help you push. Christine will be fine. <laughs> I do have something to admit about it, though. What's that? About it. Her check engine light's already off. Check engine light is on. I, I Check have, engine. It's a Buell. <laughs> Shit. I, I, I haven't, uh, I haven't uh, jumped the wires on the dial thing to make it do a trouble code printout, flash out. But uh, you're gonna need, you're gonna need a lot of paper. <laughs> I, you know, I figure once I know, I can, I can call that guy up and see if he has. What, uh, what what's the symptom? So far, it runs great. Oh, just, okay. Just the light is so it doesn't have the universal Buell symptom. It does not. It runs oh. it runs awesome. Okay. Well, I, I, it did stutter once at the light this morning. Oh, lovely. But it didn't die. It just it just stuttered. Mm-hmm. It's cold, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like a whole mm-hmm. sixty degrees. You know, the last time the Strom stuttered, it. Uh, oh, wait, no, that never happened. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, onward. It runs great. Uh huh. For now. Let's see. Our next ad is an XR650 exclamation point. $1,000. XR650 <laughs> exclamation point. Wait, this, no. That's not an exclamation point. That's an XR651. One, yeah. Six, 65,001 cubic centimeters. Wow. This is a big bike. <laughs> this bike I bought out of storage two years ago, and I thought I'd make a sweet dirt bike, and man, was I right. This monster thumper will 90 on dirt. This bike does have a few small things, but it is 20 years old. It burns a little oil when it's cold. The fork seals leak. Painted black and seat is taped. Needs revovered. This bike, not in bad shape, just needs a tiny bit of work to be nice. You know, he, he, what does Shakespeare say? Me thinks he protesteth too much. It looks like he taped the seat. I will trade for an old truck, 1961 through 1966 Ford, or car like a first gen RX7. <laughs> I may be interested in something everything, Else, everything must have a standard transmission unless really nice. Make me offer nothing reasonable refused. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's not in bad shape. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's not in bad shape. Yeah. It's just a small, small things. It. Yeah, it, that, that seat's duct taped. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Completely yeah. duct taped. No, in fairness, if you uh, had a 20-year-old pile of crap uh, dual sport bike, uh, duct uh-huh. tape on the seat is not a completely unreasonable option. Sure. Yep. The dog is growling at the bike in the picture, as near as I can tell, uh, which is fun. You know, you know, I really like these ads where the background tells you a lot about the people. Uh-huh. I really, really like that. He's only got a rubber fun. boot on one fork. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, fork seals on the Buell? Fine. I checked them. Good. Good. So take that. Mm-hmm. For now. <laughs> <laughs> so he wants something with a, with a, with a <laughs> standard transmission. You know, I might know somebody selling a Mercury Tracer hatchback from the 80s. <laughs> now that was a great, that was a car <laughs> <laughs> that I owned <laughs> and it had wheels. You know, now that I own the Buell again, maybe we can get Eric on the show finally. Yeah. I'd be like, this is my second one, man. Please. I'm a believer. <laughs> I'm a Buell. Be- <laughs> Gonna have to work on that one. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, in terms of, apart from the, yeah. the sort of incoherence of the ad. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. It, it's a ratty old dirt bike, and it appears to be a ratty old dirt bike. It looks much like ratty old dirt bikes. And look. he knows it's a ratty old dirt bike. Yeah, and he's selling it for a grand. So, yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, shit, if it runs for a thousand dollars, yeah, snag that. Yeah, yeah, God, yeah. God, gone. We can't say the same for our next ad. Okay. This is a no. This is a 2000 Yurabusa no. with 1700 actual miles. Uh, in Little Canada. Uh, 2000 Hubusa with 1700 actual miles. Oh, wait, I'm totally doing it wrong. Yeah. 2000 Hubusa with 1700 actual miles from new, never down or accident. First owner changed from the actual paint. I made it into a sit up instead of a layover. The gas tank, right? All the original parts go with the 99 and 2000 were the only two years the factory made these bikes without a top end limiter. Runs great. Wow, so he appears to have uh, taken the headstock off of a cruiser and uh, extended the risers back to have cruiser bars on a busa. Mm-hmm. He's turned his busa into a cruiser. Into a cruiser. That is a thing. The steering must be incredibly touchy. <laughs> I mean, okay, I, I don't know how touchy that was in the first place, but if it's sport bike steering with big, long bars like that, mm-hmm. yes, I predict touchiness. Also, the fairing is conspicuously missing. Yeah, he's pulled all the plastic off of it, because uh, you don't want plastic on your cruiser. Nope. I, what's that? Every one of them new cruisers is also missing a front fender. You, you know what? Not recommended in the rain. What I thought when I saw this bike? Mm-hmm. He couldn't afford a Diablo. You know, it does kind of have that look about it, doesn't it? Sort of yeah. the, the, the fat, weird bike in front of you. Yeah. The funky bars. I want that to co- How much is it? <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa. I mean, just whoa, man. No, no, no. Apparently your dog doesn't like this voice. She doesn't like this bike. Bella. <laughs> this Hi. is unacceptable. Hello. How are you? She sounds... <laughs> I've got to go back out to where the dog is. She sounds really menacing for a dog that appears to be 40 pounds of chub in a cylindrical case. Yeah. Oh, I like how when the plastic's gone, he has to have the wire harness that just spins up the front and is zip-tied there. Yep. <laughs> That's classy. Okay. So, so he's got, he still has the, the stock controls on it. Mm-hmm. And then he, he jammed what looked like Highway pegs way up there. Way up where way. you put the frame slide. Oh, you know, actually, no, he appears to have, he probably didn't jam them. He probably had space to bolt them because that's where the fairing that's was where, bolted. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I mean, can you imagine sitting like that? Um, you're like folded up. Well, uh, you know, uh, yeah, that's a little awkward. Yeah, I like the way he also remounted the original gauge cluster on the <laughs> bars. On top of the bars. <laughs> Which, you know, again, uh, looks very classy. Yeah. And a, uh, appears to be, you know, the cheesy, like, the cheesy windshield that comes with every old bike. Uh-huh. You know, the National Cycle handlebar mount one. And something from, uh. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yep. That's, uh, that's a horrible thing that he's done. He also seems to have removed part of the tail section. Yeah. Which I think is fun too. Well, you know, that's, that's all the rage now. Why? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, and I took the ass off, so it was he did, cool. Well, he didn't want the ass to look like a, a sport bike. Yeah, good point. So yeah. clearly, so this is better. He needed to be de-assed. He's, he gets the JCW windshield and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. or JC Whitney, JC Whitney windshield and, Wow, that's uh He's he's done wrong things. This bike will get the bitches. Looking for a cheap Diavel? <laughs> Act now. Go somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, all right, we got, we got, we got one more. Okay, it couldn't possibly be dumber than that one, right? Wait, Chuck, it couldn't possibly be dumber than it's dumber than that one. <laughs> oh, this is a local here in Utah. Uh huh. Three thousand dollars, which is quite a bit, for a Honda Ruckus. How much is a Ruckus new? Three thousand dollars. <laughs> Selling my O three. That, for the folks keeping score, is an 11-year-old Honda Ruckus with tons of extras. I have had it for about a year and built it from the ground up. 2,300 miles. Just did oil and coolant change. I just want to sell it because I have too many projects. (laughs) Something or other extreme SS 14.5-inch stretch. This is stretched way the hell out. They stretched a Ruckus way the hell out. For what reason, I will never, ever know. It's like they stuck it on the rack and tortured it for information. Yeah, Maybe, like, they went to tow it, but, like, they forgot to unchain the other end, you know, <laughs> something like that. Now, this this interesting thing about this, this is another one where if you start to look in the background of the picture, it starts to tell you a little more about the person who did such a horrible thing. Mm, yes. I note in the background of this one, there is a truck whose body parts do not appear to be of matching color. And that wheel looks way rusted. Mm-hmm, with a rusty wheel. Yeah. There's pieces, pieces are coming together. So let, let's read what all he did here. He's got... Uh... Password JDM drag bars. I don't know what that is. Uh, PSWD JDM bar mount. Okay, that's cheating. That's 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 one for two. Uh, R6 tail light. Lord knows from where. Because that's that's gonna be. He went to the boneyard, didn't yeah. he? Uh, a gas tank cover. A Nancy Nancy gas tank. Nancy low down shock. Not pictured. Low down seat. Unlimited CDI. A uni air filter and an extra intake. So just so we're clear, the uni air filter is basically a piece of uh, tissue paper <laughs> that you've ever banned over the intake of your car, for those who are interested in such a thing. Uh-huh. Now, the low-down shock is not pictured. The low-down seat are not pictured. This thing looks like it is possibly as much as a foot off the ground. <laughs> Maybe. Like, my daughter could sit on this. Yeah. This is a... They, yeah. Somebody, I would love to see someone ride this thing. Somebody had a vision here, <laughs> and it was a horrible, horrible, unforgivable vision, and they made this thing. Mm-hmm. And he needs money to work on that truck. Well, obviously, and he obviously needs a lot of money at $3,000 for a, a basically ruined Honda Ruckus. Yeah. I ruined a Ruckus. You should buy it. <laughs> um, no. This is like some 16-year-old kid. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, he's like, this will be totally cool. Yep. How the chicks will dig me. (laughs) Get chicks. At least he didn't bother to put a seat on the back for one. Yeah, that's true. He's not living in too much of a fantasy land. Now, what's interesting, Roland sent this ad to us. Mm -hmm. You You notice the other tabs he has open. Chuck and Todd are gay, Google search. Uh-huh. Wheelner Chuck loses penis, Google search. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Roland's got issues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why he's trying to find that film we made. I don't know either. That's just wrong. <laughs> but, uh, yep, there it is. Woo, thanks, Roland. Thanks. That's a, that, it, that's a horrible, horrible thing. <laughs> So tonight we actually have a guest. A real guest. A real guest. Mm-hmm. Not a crazy person who calls us on the phone. Roland. Okay, so we're on with uh, former editor-in-chief of Motorcyclist, Brian Catterson. Uh, he spent, what, four years as the editor-in-chief there, and then another 12 years before that at Cycle World, right? 
actually seven years at motorcyclist and oh, okay. the tech world, yeah. Oh, good and then I worked at Cycle News for three and American Road Racing for another three. So. Oh, wow. So that's... I think it adds up to like 25 years total. Damn. All right, so I got to ask to lead off. You're old. Was motorcycling or journalism the gateway drug here? Um, motorcycling, for sure. Although I did go to school <laughs> for, uh, I, mean, I basically majored in uh, broadcasting, filmmaking, things of that nature, but with kind of a journalism minor. Um, I was always kind of good at writing. I, I did really well in English and um, composition classes in junior high school and high school and college. So, uh, and you managed to get a job out of that, unlike us. Yeah, you know, it, it was like it didn't happen overnight. Like I always tell people, uh, you know, you're going to be a musician, you don't start playing at Madison Square Garden. You know, you start kind of down at the corner bar, or maybe you're playing in the corner of a restaurant where nobody's paying attention. Um, so actually, my first story, I, I didn't even intend to be a journalist. I was just, uh, I just moved to California. I thought I was going to get a job in Hollywood doing some sort of like, you know, um, grip stuff, you know, like the, the non-glamorous side of the business. And uh, this Like a regular movie business or the porn business? Uh, well, you know, it could go either way, probably. It just depends which side of the hill you're on, you know? I'd love to be a grip on a porn set. That'd be awesome. Yeah, just make sure to be careful what you're gripping, you know? <laughs> there was a magazine, or rather a newspaper, a local newspaper that had just come out called Free to Wheel, and I just happened, it turns out it was the very first one they'd ever done, and I happened to be thumbing through that, and I saw they had a section called Way to Go, and it basically said, you know, tell us about your favorite ride. So, I say I can do that, you know. So I wrote a story about riding around the Palos Verdes Peninsula, which was a, kind of a south of Long Beach kind of Torrance area, um, an area that people don't typically equate with riding motorcycles or at least with sport bikes. So I wrote a story about that, and uh, you know, I mean, maybe a week went by, and uh, after I sent it in, and this editor Margaret Fowler called me up and said, "We have a motto here at Free to Wheel: Nobody writes for Free to Wheel once." So right away she wrote me into writing another story, and I was kind of flattered because nice. yeah, she published all my photos and wrote my story completely unedited. So I guess that was that was good. Huh. Um, and then one thing led to another, um, started covering some road races at, um, Willow Springs, the old former of the USA series, actually for city bike in San Francisco, because they, they'd seen I'd been doing some stuff at, uh, Free to Wheel, and then I was racing at Willow, so they wanted somebody that could cover that stuff, because one of their, a guy named Scott Gray from Northern California was doing really well in the races. So I started doing stuff for them, and then Cycle News saw that I was covering the races for city bike and said, hey, could I cover those races for Cycle News? And then, uh, sure enough, about a year or two later, um, Cycle News, Paul Carlos from Cycle News called me up, and they were starting a road racing magazine called Motorcycle Road Racer Illustrated, and uh, he hired me on for that. Let me ask another important question here. How can parents warn their kids about the dangers of journalism early so they don't have to find out later the hard way? <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe they should get an internship or something to see just exactly how glamorous it is. You mean every day wasn't uh, hookers and blow for you? Oh, not any magazines I ever worked at. <laughs> these are these are motorcycling magazines. It's... I think the closest we ever got to hookers, there was a uh, Kawasaki press show for the ZX9 in Malaysia, and uh, the last oh, they must have had 150 of us there. It was crazy, and the last night they brought in some uh, some talent just to kind of dance with the guys because there was other guys there. I can't say that anybody actually you know um, scored any of the girls, but could have happened, I guess. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> And Blair, that's for Blair. I think I'm just uh, I'm on the tail end of that. That was a, kind of a decade prior. I didn't start in the business until the late '80s. Uh, how do how do we get invited to these motorcycle introductions? <laughs> Apparently, you have to go to Malaysia. Yeah, that's what everyone says. I think what you do is you start a podcast, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then you beg a lot. And uh, mm -hmm, now, I, just, mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of people that have started websites, and even the problem with magazines is there's a print bill associated with it, which is kind of yeah. you know, mailing, which is extensive. The websites are basically free. So, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, you can just crank up a website. I know a lot of guys that have done kind of small websites, and they're happy just to get a free helmet once in a while and go to a couple of press centers a year. I, I dream of free helmets. We, so far, we've been able to get free passes to shows. That's, yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. We we, we go with the uh, press thing, and you can sort of hear the air quotes around it when we say it. That's how I jumped on Brian at the IMS. He, he was totally distracted, didn't see me coming, didn't have a chance to get away. Perfect. <laughs> so you were at Motorcyclist, you said, for seven years? Seven years, yes. 
Okay, so what did you start there as? Um, I went there as executive editor, but I wasn't there very long before they made me editor-in-chief. I kind of knew that. I, I knew that going in that I was going to become editor-in-chief. Oh, okay. I was going to say, did you get the short end of the straw for that? or <laughs> You have to be in charge now. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, in, in some ways, yes, yeah, kind of. Um, no, actually, Mitch Bame and I go way back. We've known each other from since like late '80s when I was at Cycle News, and he was at, he just started at Motorcyclist. Um, we raced together mm-hmm. a few times and stuff like that. And uh, we were actually roommates for a brief period of time. But he he was kind of just fried. I think he was ready to step down, and so he, his job was to find someone. Okay, to so play. and you stayed with Motorcyclist until its hundredth year, right? I did. Yes. Yeah. Literally, I uh, I kind of went out. I tried to go out on top. I just uh, I was getting kind of fried myself, and uh, some of the things that were going on in, in the business, I wasn't happy mm-hmm. with. So I. Uh, I just told myself I was going to make it to the 100th anniversary celebration, and I literally gave Malcolm Smith the Motorcyclist of the Century Award, and then uh, our publisher, Dave Sonsky, told everybody that I was retiring. <laughs> Go out with a bang. Elvis has left the building. That was a Thursday night. Friday was my last day. We had a hell of a party Friday night, and then uh, now I've got a, a small motorcycle shop in the Signal Hill area of Long Beach. Cool. Oh, cool. So are you, like, uh, tuning bikes or what? Well, actually, it's called Team Kajiva. I basically, uh, I've been racing Italian bikes for you know, most of my career, so... Uh, I had a whole bunch of these Kajiva dirt bikes, and uh, then Kajiva bought Husqvarna. So I, I, along the way, trying to keep these things running, I acquired a bunch of NOS parts from various dealers that went out of business and what have you. So uh, at one point, I just you know, realized I had like a storage locker full of this stuff, and I could probably actually sell it. So started doing that. It's, been, it's going on two years now, and uh, yeah, I don't do as much maintenance. Like, I like to do some restorations. I've done some motor builds and uh, a couple of restorations. I'd like to do more of that. But mostly I just sell parts because guys can't, just can't find parts for them. Sure. It's yeah. Really, it's really funny. So I go, I'll go buy some parts bike from some guy, and you get the thing, and it's got a Honda gas tank and Suzuki fenders, and like mm-hmm. all kinds of crazy welding on it to make things fit because they just couldn't get parts even when they were new. So it sounds like Brian's maybe two steps removed from being a drug dealer. Hmm. <laughs> hey, hey, man! All, all your friends, are, all the cool kids are using are using new old stock pipes. Don't you want to fit in? All the cool kids are riding Kajivas. <laughs> What, what do you think is like the biggest accomplishment you did while you were you were um, editor at uh, Motorcyclist? God, the biggest accomplishment? Yeah, what are you most proud of? I don't know. There's, you know, I, I look back at uh, various stories I wrote. Ironically, most of the really good ones were at Cycle World because uh, after I became editor of Motorcycles, I never had time to write myself. I always, always scrambling editing other people's stuff, you know. But I always like mm-hmm. I, it's kind of like two jobs because if you're the if you're just one of the guys on staff. Um, you know, you have to go write these stories and then you give it to the editor, and uh, you know, he's the one that's, that's like stirring the pot or what have you. So uh, I feel like when, when I became editor in chief of motorcycles, and I, mind you, I was editor of American Road Racing back in like the early '90s, so I'd, I'd been an editor before, like you know, the, the Grand mm-hmm. Poobah. And uh, it's kind of fun to—it's like the difference between playing in the band and being the orchestra leader, you know. So that's what I felt like—I was—I uh, was the guy waving the baton, and. Uh, Felt like you had a strong orchestra put together, and they were kicking some butt. Well, actually, I had almost nobody when I started. Was a sad thing, but uh, yeah, because Mitch was Mitch was still on staff, and he was pretty fried. And uh, Mitch had some personal stuff going on. Both of his parents died within a short period of time, and he was he was pretty strong yeah. about that. Um, and then I had Tim Carruthers, I had Charles Everett, but I think they blew out Charles Everett almost right away. And then uh, it gave me well, it was like a, they they reshuffled the deck for Super Street Bike because Aaron Frank had been editor of Super Street Bike, but they hired a guy named Dave Sonsky, who was one of the original Star Boys who ultimately went on to become motorcyclist publisher. Um, it's kind of funny to think of a guy, helmetless guy doing wheelies, stand-up wheelies and, and furry pants is not a publisher of motorcycles, but he's a good guy. He's one of my buddies. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he became editor of Super Street Bike, so they, they moved Aaron Frank, shuffled him over to motorcyclist, and let Charles Everett go. So suddenly I had a whole new team. And Aaron also lives in Milwaukee, so he was uh, kind of telecommuting, which is interesting. Um, but eventually Mitch left, 
and uh, he went to start that. Well, he'd been doing like a, a motorcyclist retro, they called it, I think, and then he started his own Motor Retro Illustrated, so he's still doing that on his own. But that's when I hired Ari Henning, so that was a, a big addition to the staff. I've got some young, young, enthusiastic talent. It sounds like the burnout rate is it's high. very high. Yeah, this doesn't sound like glamorous, let's go ride a lot. No, actually, I made it sound like that, you know, Mitch was in the business just as long as I was, you know, and... Uh, yeah, he was. Uh, I think just being editor in chief, you just you just dealing with kind of a lot. There's a lot going on. Um, you know, you're trying to make the deadlines every month, and you get people watching you every step, and you got constant meetings with publishers trying to get you to do things you don't want to do, and you know, it's, it's just like mm-hmm. walking a tightrope all the time. But yeah, it's, it's pretty stressful. And I think it became more so, like you know, lately. <laughs> so, um, I mean, we were bought and sold by companies, and we moved floors in a building, and then we moved a building, and then you know, now since mm-hmm. left, they've moved yet again. So it's, it's just like I wrote my going but my, in my going away editorial. Um, I was there for seven years. We had seven different publishers, yeah. so that's basically like you know having a new boss once a year on average. Um, it wasn't exactly like that because I think Marty Estes was there for three years or so, but uh, I was publisher for three years. But yeah, it was, it was kind of like that. He was just it was like one of our old editorial director, Alex Hearn, had a great expression. He used to yell out "iceberg," and uh, that was kind of a reference to like you're on the Titanic, <laughs> you're trying to steer this thing, and you, know, you just can't steer fast enough, you know. But uh, I remember I wrote my goodbye editorial that, uh, as I say, I saw more more false starts than I'd seen in a lifetime of racing. So <laughs> that's kind of how it was. It got to be where, you know, the latest boss wanted us to do this one thing, and then the next boss wanted us to do something else. And mm-hmm. one minute, you know, the website's all about blogs. The next minute, it's all about videos. And it just got crazy. So now I, I, I notice also you, you talk about a lot of different magazines. So is is it normal in the motorcycle world that there's, a, or is it magazines in general where they kind of come and go really quickly? No, actually, I think they last quite a long time. You mean you're talking about the magazines themselves or about the staffers? Oh, okay. Maybe I'm asking the wrong question. So magazines themselves stick around, but the staffers jump around a lot? Yeah, I'd say that's true. Although, you know, the turnover rate at the magazines isn't real high. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, the guys who've been in the industry a long time, you know, Mitch Bain had worked at Cycle World, and uh, John Burns, I think, worked at Cycle, Cycle World and Motorcyclist. You know, it goes on and on. I, mean, I think there's been a fair amount of, of people jumping ship. What, what would you define as the difference between Motorcyclist and Cycle World? Uh, they have the same owners now, right? Or the same publishers? Yeah, it's just just recently, within the last year. Yeah, Bunnier, um, however you pronounce that. Yeah, they own they own kind of all the motorcycle magazines now. I think except for Rider and, and some of the dirt bike magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the difference between motorcyclists and cycle? I don't know. They were always kind of head to head competitors. You okay. Know? And when I was there, um, you know, motorcyclists had covered dirt bikes up through 1982 or thereabouts, and then the publishing company at the time, which was Peterson, started Dirt Rider. And then right away, these the motorcyclists just stopped covering dirt bikes and just focused on street bikes only. But like I wrote in one editorial along the way, um, they kept you know kind of chiseling pieces of like, cutting the pie, taking pieces of motorcyclists out, so they created Sport Rider and like you know Cruiser Rider or, or Cruiser was called um, Travel and Adventure, you know on and on. Or, sorry, their their version was called Escape. <laughs> Can't keep these all straight. Um, but nevertheless, they kept taking just slicing pieces of motorcyclists, you know pie out and just like in the end all that was really left was like <laughs> bikes that are over this but less than <laughs> like naked bikes and sport touring bikes which is kind of ironically is what a lot of the motorcyclist staff you know the readers rode anyway Marty that's that's that I had a talk shortly after I became editor we decided that we were going to go head to head with Cycle World and try to do you know start covering dirt bikes again and just you know be the umbrella magazine for our, our publishing company and all the different magazines that were in it you know kind of where motorcycles had been back in the day so at that point motorcycles was you know, a lot like Cycle World um Mm-hmm. In terms of content, but you know, I think the styles. I, mean, I think motorcyclists. I'd say motorcyclists is a little bit more hands-on, um, a lot more irreverent, or at least it was when I was there. Cycle World's always been a little bit more ethereal, and you know, Cycle World's got some great writers, and Kevin Cameron and Peter Egan. Um, but a lot of it's like you know, sort of book smart mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, to hands-on. 
they are both good magazines. I mean, they're both great magazines, I think. When you look at them, I don't know if you read magazines like I do, huh? Um, but yeah, the motorcycle magazines are just really well written and photographed, and um, I think there's something to be proud of. I tell people a lot of times, like, you know, mm-hmm. work in a motorcycle magazine, they kind of snicker at me and say, oh, good girls on Harleys on the cover. I'm like, yeah, no, not remotely. That's not what we do. You know? <laughs> no, no, it's 40 year old dudes. Our wives won't let us have girls in bikinis on Harleys on the cover, huh? Yeah, the, the closest most motorcyclist I think had was, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Annette? Oh, yeah, Annette. Yeah, we did. She did a thing. Well, she wanted to be more involved in the, in the editorial process. So for a while, she did um, something we called uh, what's it called? Fashion Police, which is kind of it was kind of fun. That was really that was really irreverent. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That thing. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, she's actually uh, working. She moved to San Francisco, and she's working for um, one of the motorcycle shops up there now. So you pretty much sailed motorcyclists right through the recession. Yeah, that was my. That was great. I got to inherit it. Just time for the whole industry to tank. The whole economy to tank. <laughs> Yeah, who wants to buy that? a motorcycle? No. <laughs> how was that? How, you know, I mean, we know from the buyer's side that it kind of sucked. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, how, how did the? Well, you know, it's, it's not it's not entirely bad. I mean, I remember I went to Vance and Hines at one mm-hmm. point, and I was walking around um, their headquarters with Terry Vance, who owns the place or used to own the place. He's uh, kind of been bought out by um, the Mag Group, whatever they're called this week. <laughs> um, and he was telling me that they just had a record. This was like 2009 or 2010, and he said they just had a record year. And they were actually going up in the rafters and taking down some of their old pipe jigs because they were getting requests for bikes that you know they had made pipes for in 20 years. Mm-hmm. So I think that what's cool about it, like I remember people like saying, well, all the people in the industry, all the big wigs, all the people at the OEs, keep saying, oh, you know, the motorcycle business is terrible. The reality is it's not terrible. The motorcycle business is actually really good. If you look at, there's a million people riding bikes. I mean, there's probably more people riding motorcycles now than there have been since maybe the 70s. You know. Mm. Um, I mean, they're really fashionable. This whole cafe racer movement is huge. And out here in California, you know, you know I see block, you see bikes constantly. Um, it's true that, yeah, the, the OEs aren't selling as many new bikes as they used to, um, that's for sure. But even that's coming back, you know, slightly better than it was a few years ago. You mean nobody wants a second mortgage for a new bike? I, I don't understand. Yeah, well, I, I don't think you can get a, you know, a second mortgage anymore. That was part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I think as soon as you can get a second mortgage, people will be buying bikes again. Yeah, good point. <laughs> but, you know, when the unemployment rate is 10% or whatever it is, um, you know, there's a lot of people a lot of people hurting right now. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's never been a better time to buy, buy a used bike right now because people, especially dirt bikes, and, God, you can buy a 125 for $1,000 all day long. Hear that, um, listeners? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Act yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Right out and buy a winter, but no, there's uh, I mean people just you know, guys out of work and wives are out of work, whatever, they're just forced to get rid of their toys. So. Yeah. How did the relationship between the OEs and the magazine change during that the, the recession period? Did, I mean were the OEs a lot more pulled back with their advertising? Did they want more coverage? Did they not send you to Thailand? Yeah, I mean I honestly um believe it or not, no one believes us when I say this, but yeah, we don't the editorial staff never had much to do with any of that. That was always the publisher and then the ad sales guys yeah. that were dealing with the, the OEs in that front. Um, which is not to say that we didn't see some of these people and talk to them mm-hmm. on occasion. Um, and we occasionally heard some some demands from a from our publisher they say, Oh, this you know, so and so's got a new bike, they'd really like if you do something along these lines and we kinda of negotiate. Now I would never cross the line and do a story that was like frivolous. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would do a story that, you know, show showcased the bike and, and kind of in the in, in its own element, let's say, you know, like, I mean, like I'd take a Harley and go road racing with it, but I'd ride it to Sturgis. And, you know, maybe I wouldn't normally ride to Sturgis, but it's a good way to, to showcase a new Harley bike, you know. I don't think that's crossing the line whatsoever, you know. Um, one thing I did notice, there was a lot of, there's a lot of these kind of in-between companies, like the, uh, you know, ad, um, there's PR companies and, and what have you that, that work, that are contracted by the OEs, 
um, and they would get hold of our guys, and they would they would have really unrealistic expectations. And the whole thing with the internet and everybody having a website and then, you know TV, you know, YouTube channels and and what have you, um, it just seemed like like writing a story in the magazine wasn't enough anymore. Now they wanted like this whole dog and pony show. Mm-hmm. They wanted to do a you know, we create. I know there were a lot of like micro websites created, like when the Honda Goldwing came out. I think it was. They uh, we helped them create this, and that's where it starts getting really weird. Is when the man, when they met, the, the publisher is asking you to. Uh, Hey, write a story about your favorite road, and have everyone on your staff write a story about your favorite road. And you're saying, "What for?" And so, well, we're doing this website. We got to have some some content for it. So, and there, it became a term, kind of in the upper echelons of a uh, you know source interlink or you know, the publishing company I was at. Um, they they kind of referred to us as content providers. We weren't editors or journalists anymore. We were content providers. So that's that's when it really started to hurt. You know, that, that was just painful uh-huh. to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I I have a confession. As I was I was both the copywriter and in the marketing industry during. That era, it was bad, yeah. scary, yucky time. I mean, I can see where they're coming from because you know, they're in the middle. They're between a rock and a hard place. So you know, they got a, mm-hmm. a, a client that's demanding more, and they go to the magazines and try to demand more, and we're pushing back. So I can see where it was rough. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't terrible, terrible. Um, I'm glad that we're through it now, more or less. I'm also glad I'm not involved in it on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis anymore. <laughs> Did you see a big decline in free beer during that period? Um, no, I don't think so. I think the free beer was still around. Things were dark in the outdoor industry about then. Well, there was suddenly like this, uh, everyone started drinking like PBR tall boys. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, you know. I... <laughs> the whole lowbrow low movement became popular. I'm not sure who started that, but that could have been, that could have something to do with lack of budget. Probably the same people buying the uh, 20-year-old Vance and Heinz pipes. Yeah, I think so. So well, why did the fetish with Ducati? Excuse me? Why the fetish for Ducati? You know, if someone mentions you on the internet. You call it a fetish. The word Ducati, you're, you, you are a Ducati Nista enthusiast. Ducatista, I think they'd say yes. Um, am I a Ducatista? I, mean, I don't know. I, I have a shop in Sokajiva, so you're not balding, so you know. Not yet. <laughs> no. Um, why do I like Ducatis? Is guess what you're asking. Um, I mean, I, I kind of appreciate. I, mean, I appreciate all motorcycles, but I've always had a sort of a passion for the Italian bikes because, frankly, they're just, they're, just, they're really beautiful. And mm-hmm. uh, um, yeah, I was just writing there. Actually, I still do a little freelance work here and there. And Aaron <laughs> Frank from Motorcycles called me up yesterday, and actually emailed me yesterday and said that he. Uh, Asked me if I'd write a, an obituary for Messimo Mes- Tamburini, who just died. And, uh, you know, that guy's talking about beautiful motorcycles. That guy created some of the most, you know, gorgeous two wheel vehicles ever. And, and also they were hugely functional. I mean, mm-hmm. 916 Ducati and the MV Gustav IV are two of the most beautiful and, and you know, functional and successful bikes ever made. What do you think of the Diablo? I, uh, what was the next question? <laughs> <laughs> sat on them um and it seemed like it actually works amazingly well i mean yeah. ducati's credit when they uh and maybe they're a little misguided doing this but they took us for the press introduction we went and rode up some really twisty roads in the santa monica mountains here 
which is not really what you would do with a cruiser, but maybe that's what they were trying to show is that you know the thing like look like a cruiser but it still works like a sport bike. Mm-hmm. My biggest beef was that kind of a fat rear tire. Those fat rear tires, no matter what you put them on, they just they never quite handle like you know they don't change direction from side to side like a like a one eighty wood or something. <laughs> wah, wah, turning now. <laughs> well, that's the thing. The DFL really wasn't like that at all. You could pretty much spin the tire at will too with all the power you had. So. Okay, so so fat rear tires that brings up something I got to ask you about. So. In your tenure at motorcycles, you've or magazines in general, you've been through a lot of the fats, the the giant chopper fad, the uh, let me think, where we were in the cafe racer fat. Now, what was it before that? The big baggers, I guess, cruisers, yeah, and uh, the adventure bikes. Uh-huh, yeah, uh, that's kind of fatty still. Yeah, well, yeah what, what, you, you, uh, again, sorry. I was going to say, what, what do you think the signs are that a fad's about to die? Because I'm always interested in this because it's usually <laughs> the time you can pick up bikes really cheap. Uh, <laughs> You know, it checks out. There's a Honda Fury. That's well, over. Um, the Furby, yeah. The, the Honda yeah. Furby, that was that was the death knell for, uh, for, for choppers. Right there. You even know how they created that. So, what, oh, uh, my God. If Honda does a, a, does a cafe racer, then cafe versus... They just made the CB 1000. Oh, it's having said that, though. I mean, if they brought back the GB 500, I think that would be great because um, guys would love that bike. But, you know, what, yeah, once they domesticate something, that <laughs> Honda puts it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Makes a certain amount of sense, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I just thought, you know, Yamaha just brought back the, the SR400, which they've been selling in Japan forever, but, you know, they used to sell the SR500 here, and I don't think they've sold that since, like, the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, but now with this, you know, this cafe racing movement, all these people customizing bikes. Um, well, that, yeah, it's, not always well, but, yeah. Oh, no, no, I don't get any started there either. I was telling somebody recently, I said, yeah, I look, I look on Craigslist a lot, you know, trying to find bikes and trying to buy and sell and get for my business and all that. Sure, uh, for your business. Bobber Chopper uh. Uh, Cafe Racer. So it might have been one. It might have been one of the thing in there. I can't remember what it was. We, we, so we've leave it at Bobber Chopper Cafe Racer. And I said, well, it can't be all three. So I clicked on the on the, the, the link and opened it, and I saw the picture. I was like, oh my god, it is all three. <laughs> Someone had some spare time. Oh yeah, and a yeah, dream. The things that kids create and they're just horrible, you know. And I, when I see these guys take like a shaft-driven, like you know, uh, an old cruiser. Like a four-cylinder inline cruiser from the early '80s. When oh, the GS 850s. Yeah. Ruined by these people. Yeah, like any any of the Suzuki L, the GS 550L or something like that. And you see it turned into a cafe racer. It's got a little 16-inch wheel and you know 19-inch front, and 30 degrees of rake, and you know shaft drive for Christ's sake. I mean, it's it's not a cafe racer. But more power to the kids for for riding motorcycles. So that's what I say about that. <laughs> yeah yeah we see those kind of project bikes all the time we're, we're looking at we, one right now a we, Hayabusa that's been converted to a cruiser we do a tidy amount of show making fun of the ads of people trying to sell these ill-advised oh, yeah. modified Perfect. bikes <laughs> you know, to me it's kind of encouraging that the kids are riding motorcycles because I you know and I remember not too long not too many years ago people were saying that you know kids are playing video games they're all sitting inside they're eating donuts and getting fat and and then all of a sudden, out comes like this whole extreme sports movement. You know, guys doing backflips on, on dirt bikes and stuff. And we got mm-hmm. everybody and their brothers riding the cafe racer now. So, I, you know, I think that's good. It's better than sitting indoors and playing video games. Well, there's just nothing saying you can't ride for a while and then go home and eat donuts and play okay. video games. Yeah, we don't do that. No, never. never. It sounds like a good day to me. You want another donut? Yeah. Do, do you have an idea of what the next fad might be? 
what the next fad might be. Um, yeah, I think I do. Um, he's going to say Italian bikes to sell some more units. Geeva <laughs> <laughs> dirt bikes. Yeah, but no. um, honestly, I think uh, I think Mad Max. Mm. Although, I, although I think the bikes won't be as cool as that. I think like kind of like blacked out kind of crappy sport bikes. You think rat bikes are coming like, back? Yeah, rat bikes. Yeah, I think I think ratty sport bikes because I think that they're going to get. I don't want to say like you know naked bikes and. Uh, that whole scene, you know, the whole street fighter scene, mm. but that kind of happened more in England than it happened, in, you know, Europe, Europe as a whole, than it happened here. I don't think that ever, the movement ever really, really happened here. We kind of got sidetracked with the whole Stunder movement. Mm. Um, I can see, because those bikes are cheap now, you know, and they've been crashed a bunch, and the body work's all gone. Mm. I can see guys just like, you know, battle can, painting them, you know, flat black or prime or gray or whatever. Riding a liner. Riding them, yeah. So I'd have to call it rat bike. There's something new I think I've become aware of lately called a brat. I don't know what that is yet, but kids keep talking about their brats. Brat, maybe. Uh, I think they're referring to uh, modified mopeds, the two-strokers. Brat, brat, brat. Yeah, I'm not sure that's it. No? Yeah, there's mm-hmm. something called a brat bike now. So brat bike. We'll have to pay attention to that. Huh. Mm. But that's half the fun of it. It's some, you know, sometimes you can't see what the next pad is until it just drops. Mm-hmm. And then you're left there looking lame and old and... <laughs> All the kids are like, ha you're lame and old, and you're a pile of shit bike. We've got our 1300cc adventure bike. Jerks. <laughs> what I'm kind of, what I'm afraid of is the next day might be electric bikes, which I really don't want to see happen just yet. Really? Yeah, I mean, there's probably a time and a place for that. I'm maybe not fad. I think, you know, the next movement, there's obviously a lot of development on that front right now. Mm-hmm. For obvious reasons, I mean, the car world, for sure, is nothing but a hybrids and electric vehicles now and occasional turbo diesels, you know, clean running diesels. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of big push on that now. Gas is expensive as it is. And Especially in California, you got the air regs and stuff. Yeah, yeah, we get really crappy gas out here. <laughs> what, why, why are you hesitant on the electric bikes? I don't know. I just like motors. You know, I like the sound of motorcycle. I like the feel of motorcycle. Um, the electric bikes I've ridden have been, they're just, you know, they're contraptions. They're, they're appliances, let's, let's say that. You don't want your bike going... Well, it's funny. The first time I rode an electric dirt bike, I was at a motocross track at Glen Helen. I broke two of them in 15 minutes. The second that, oh, I won't mention the brand. What? Yeah. And there's only really one moving part, so you can guess what broke. But um, no, the, the funny thing was riding around the full motocross track, and all I could hear was my, the chain whirring and my and myself breathing really hard. <laughs> well, you know they they they're talking about on the electric cars and presumably on the bikes too. They add a little noisemaker device. Yeah, yeah. So you could make it sound like anything you want. We already figured the Batman theme would be the obvious one, but you know you could make a cool bike sound if you wanted to. I suppose. Strap some playing cards to the spokes. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. You have to go back to that again. Did you see? Did we have it on the show? There's this uh, the aftermarket aftermarket pipe card thing that you can put on bikes. And it changes the tone. It like adds an exhaust note. It's essentially it's the exact same idea as playing cards on spokes, except it has this sort of physical amplifier, yeah. so it just comes out sounding like brat the whole time. Hmm. No, I heard that. That's what the electric bikes need. Maybe it's the that's what the brat bike is. You know, I think there's a Kickstarter for it. I think that's where I saw it. Oh God! Yeah, that's here, that's here in California, the guys were modifying the cars so they whistled really loud. All that fad seems to have gone away. You mean like the doing the uh, doing like uh, the nitrous blow off sound? Mm, yeah, that's not loud enough. Now, these guys were actually modifying their exhaust systems, so they kind of made a musical note. Huh. That was definite. 
That's that's just weird. And that proves that everybody thinks something is cool. <laughs> like it's the, the cool side of that is you ever go to Europe for one of the MotoGP races? I remember going to Italy. I mean, Jello once. And uh, these guys, they, they, have, they call them noisemakers. I forget how you say that in Italian. It sounds much more exotic in Italian. But, you know, guys take mopeds and they put these giant baffles on them or just, you know, megaphones on them and, make, and just rev them until they blow up. They're just making a ton of noise. Well, there was one guy, so I had, a, had an Alfa Romeo car motor on a, on a stand with a, with a tuba connected to the exhaust. And, and, that guy, and he's revving the thing up and down. And standing next to it, it just sounded like a bunch of racket. But you get down the valley, and I swear to God, the guy was playing, like, music, or like, deafening music on this Alfa Romeo motor, like, revving it up and down with this tuba. <laughs> it was awesome. That's what? the next fat tuba exhaust. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they were talking. Now, we talked briefly about trying to do something like that at Laguna Seca, but they have enough problems with noise already, so I wasn't going to go over well. Oh, you know, we've got a listener question we want to pass on to you. Mm-hmm. Why the hell do motorcycle magazines always pick the $20,000 plus priced bikes as their best bike? Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it because they don't anticipate the majority of readers calling them out on bad selection if they pick a low price bike? Or because most people can't justify the price and, and can see if, if the bike's right or wrong. Well, I'm going to throw that right back in the guy's face and say we don't. And as evidence of that, I'm going to point to the fact that we picked the Kawasaki Versus as a, our motorcycle of the year one year while I was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Touche. <laughs> Take that, Kareem. Touche. It's a middleweight bike. It was cheap. That's part of why we picked it. It was great bang for the buck. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not to say that we haven't picked the Ducati, you know, 1098 or whatever as motorcycle of the year. But, um, yeah, for sure, um, we tried to honestly. We just we weighed everything at all and every angle, and we had some pretty good arguments about <laughs> which bike should be picked. And some years it was pretty much you know, unanimous, but yeah, the, the versus was a good one. To be. So you you can tell when bike of the year articles about to come out because everybody walks out of the office with black eyes <laughs> and they're not talking to each other. Oh well, yeah, we're in the we're in the office. We were in the conference room for a long time with the door closed. And there was much yelling. <laughs> That's yeah. I, I remember when Versus got picked for that. I think that was actually one of well one of the things that got me to buy a Versus. That and the fact that it's the only bike I'd ever ridden that I wanted more than the Strom. We also picked the Ninja One Thousand, which wasn't a particularly expensive <laughs> bike either. So, as a matter of fact, I just rode one of those to Las Vegas this weekend. Actually, or last weekend, went and did a story for for motorcycles out there. Nice. Yeah, they don't call me often anymore, but once in a while they're busy and there's a press intro that comes up, so they send me out there. So I went and rode the new, well, slightly revised KLR Six Fifty. Okay. Rode from Las Vegas to Death Valley and back. Spent like three days tooling around on dirt roads out there in the desert. It's beautiful. Trying to bum cash off people, eating out of dumpsters, <laughs> living the KLR life, basically. Yeah, definitely. Stayed at a really nice hotel in Death Valley. We should just name some models and get his opinion on them. Okay, sounds good. Give us an affirmative or negative grunt. <laughs> or even, you know, a comment. Uh, Suzuki V-Strom, the 1000. Well, I haven't written the latest one because I'm sort of out of the loop now. But I've always liked those bikes. And... Mm-hmm. Have I gone over my positive grunt? <laughs> no, I'm, actually, I, as much as I like the 1000, I think that the 650 is a better bike. Yeah, okay. The V-Strom 650 is a really good motorcycle. And I, at one point, we had three guys on staff at Motorcycles. I'm not editorial staff, but staff at, at large, staff as a whole, that were riding V-Strom 650s back and forth. Yeah, because the editorial staff, they were all on Ducatis, mm-hmm. BMWs, yeah, yeah. Triumphs. Well, you know, you get editorial, you get well, fancy. part of the job, man. you got to test what, you know, you got to test the new stuff. That's a job. <laughs> Oh, well, the writing, the writing is, isn't the job. It's the writing. Of, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a street triple. Nice bike. Yeah, nothing wrong with it. A Buell Ulysses. Not a great motorcycle. There were a couple of things that were fundamentally wrong with that bike, but I really kind of enjoyed it. And, and the press engine for that was in Colorado. And I remember about a 100-mile-long mm-hmm. like cinder road that was epic. It was really fundamental. Did, it, did your bike blow up? No. 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 no? Okay. Those ones didn't blow up. It was the old tube frame ones that blew up. 
They, well, they didn't blow up. They just fell apart. <laughs> a funny story. Once upon a time, I took an aerostitch. Um, I think it was in a catalog or the website, what have you. They, you could like customize your aerostitch suit, the colors and all that. And you could like, they, so they had like a, a pattern for it. And I drew mm-hmm. where all the parts from the Buell went in which pocket, and I faxed it to Eric Buell. Because <laughs> I had the same, it was the old two frame ones, but I had the, like the same catastrophic chain of events happen like three times. Where I don't, I think the, some bracket broke and it held the pipe and the shock reservoir. So the, the shock reservoir ended up dangling by the hose and it ground, it, it ground through and all the fluid leaked out and uh, the, one of the header studs would snap off or both of them would snap off on one cylinder. And you'd end up riding the world's loudest pogo stick. Mm-hmm. What, what would you think were the, some of the fundamental problems with the Ulysses? I'm curious. Um, steering lock was a big one. Okay. Yeah. It just didn't have enough. Yeah. Um, I kind of think that, if I recall correctly, the front brake was really grabby. That is one of the single front brakes, right? Like all of them do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Remember, he was right. I remember that in the dirt. And it had, also had kind of soft. Um, forks, so when you touch the front brake and the front end dove, and they would just wash out, especially in the dirt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, I think Don Canet crashed one of those on our... Uh, Don Canet never falls off, or seldom falls off bikes, but, but as a second one, we were out riding one day and he fell off one right in front of me. <laughs> because that exact... That, it was actually on, on pavement, but it was kind of dirty pavement, but that exact scenario, just running, just dove and down. Ouch. Alright, we better, we better go We better go into something a little more exotic. The Honda Pacific Coast 800. Um, it's funny, I rode one of those up to Laguna Seca one year for the, for the, um, GP races, back before they were MotoGP. Um, had a hoop. All I remember was I was always in the rev limiter because you could never hear the damn motor. It was revving, it's not, it was slow and revving, it's not, but I love the trunk. I remember, you know, everyone had the photograph going grocery shopping with the, with the BC 800. And, uh, they seem like they're a real cold bike now. I actually rode up to Seattle a couple of years ago with my brother, younger brother Paul and BMWs. And as we were going to Highway 1, I saw a couple of Pacific Coasts go the other way, and then more and more of them. So I guess they have an annual, as you can imagine, this, a Pacific Coast on the Pacific Coast rally, uh-huh. which is probably pretty fun. Uh, Harley V-Rod. Um, yeah. Um, again, mixed feelings. You know, I, <laughs> I applauded them for doing it because it was, it was pretty brave for Harley to, to do something like cool and more modern. But I wish they'd built the sport bike that that motor came from because I think the VR1000, even if it was heavy and slow, it still would have been awesome and it still would have sold really well. I think there were a lot of guys that, that would have bought a Harley sport bike if Harley ever made one. I mean, a real one. Um, but the V-Rod, I don't know, it was just weird. It was funky looking, and I didn't like that, that solid wheel. And Yeah, it doesn't crosswinds were sketchy on it. And it's just, I don't know. <laughs> Is there anything you kind of regret not doing before you left motorcyclists? Um, not doing, not particularly. There are a few stories. I, you know, I always had this, uh, like, a run sheet of potential stories. Um, things I would like to have done, and some of them I had on my list since I was the days I was a cycle world. I always wanted to race the Isle of Man TT. Um, never got a chance to do that, and uh, yeah, for a lot of reasons. And you know, the, when I started that cycle world, they had just done that story. I think Stephen Thompson wrote that story like in 1987 or something. So I started there the first time in 1990, and, and David Edwards was really going, "Oh, we just did that story." But like you know, 15 years later, he's still going, "Oh, we just did that story." I'm like, "No, it's been since 1987." I think he's just trying to keep me from getting splattered against a tree or something, but. uh um, I think it would have been really fun. You know, I kind of fine-tuned the story I did from where I wanted to be, you know, go be Joey Dunlop to where I just, uh, I called it doing the ton. I always wanted to just go to, go to the Isle of Man, ride a Manx Norton, and see if I could go 100 miles an hour on it, you know, do, do the ton, like, back in the day. That would have been a great story. But, yeah, there were, quite a, there were quite a few stories. The one story I wish I could have, could have done, that I, again, I was, you know, talking about it forever. I wanted to go to Joey Dunlop's bar, you know, Joey's bar on the Ballymoney Railway Station in Ireland. 
and just sit down at the at the bar and, and just get drunk with Joey Dunlop and have, have him tell me racing stories. I think that would have been epic. Um, I, I personally, I think there's a movie there somewhere. <laughs> you know, but, uh, but Joey was an amazing guy, and uh, he I only got to meet him once, and that was actually the year that he died. Um, and the last Isle of Man TT um, before he got killed over there, and whatever it was, Slovenia, was Slovenia, where was it? Um, I don't read the story. That's a pretty cool. That's a did, dude. Write it. I, well, I guess okay. Like, yeah. That's probably yeah. Yeah, yeah make some stuff up. Yeah, well, can't do it now. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's, that's just two of them. I have. I always had really great story ideas. That was kind of one thing I was proud about in my business. Um, some of the fun stories I did. I think the Moto Giro, the first year they did, they ran that was a. Uh, the Moto Giro was a race on, on little Italian singles, like in the late fifties. Um, I think they only did it for like four or five years the first time, um, and then they shut it down. There was a, a, a Mille Miglia, a thousand mile car race that, that hit some fatalities with spectators and what have you. So Italy as a whole just shut down you know, public road racing. So um, that was the, the Motor Giro was one of the fallouts from that. But anyway, they, decades later they brought it back as kind of like an endurance run for vintage bikes. And I rode a, a 1962 MV Augusto 125 all over Italy for like six days. And it was that was just really fun. I got a little, you know, beanie helmet, a little red, white, and green, like Agostini beanie helmet, some black leathers, and some goggles, and it just it was really awesome. It was awesome. I, I just considered it like, it was like a bicycle ride. I did a bicycle tour. I didn't have to pedal. The best kind. I think the thing, the thing went maybe seventy miles an hour downhill with a tailwind. You know? Hey, that's like your Ural time. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that was that was a great trip, and I think I, that was one of the one of the stories I was really proud of. All right. Well, cool, man. Well, thanks for talking to us. Um, Brian Catterson can be found in his shop full of Italian Kagiva parts. Yeah, do you want to plug your shop? Uh, for um, Yeah, it's just called Team Kajiva. I'm on the web, I'm on Facebook, all that good stuff. All right, cool. Very specialized, though. Well, Brian, thanks so much for talking with us tonight, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate that. Have a good night. All right, so... That's pretty cool. Nice talking with Mr. Catterson. Mm-hmm. Mr. Catterson. I suppose he doesn't get to be Mr. Catterson anymore now that he's not the head of a magazine. Now he's like, like the old Brian because he owns a, he runs a bike he's, shop. He's Brian. He's old, old, dirty, oily Brian. <laughs> hey, you wanna, you wanna, you wanna buy a give apart? <laughs> no, no, come on, they're really great bikes. Go to a shop and say we sent you. Yes. If at least one person shows up like that, it would be. Amazing. He'd be like, the wheel nerds sent me. And he'd be like, the, the who nerds? The what? Uh-huh. <laughs> what? I, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> so Roland's been busy this week. Yes, he, he wrote, he wrote to us. He wrote a PSA for us. He says, I'm tired of seeing people ride with their feet pointed at the ground. Their foot position looks more like a ballet dancer than a motorcycle rider, especially common on sport bikes. Put your toes inches from the ground. A hit to the foot will wrap your foot around a peg and shatter every bone in the foot. Please make them stop. It adds reaction time and offers poor control. Yes, it feels comfortable and natural. So does masturbation, but we'll both agree they have their time and their place. Both and that time and place before both of them is on your bike. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on, trying to work out the logistics of that in a suit. Uh, you could, I don't know. Anyway, I like the rough feel of you know deer hide gloves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he, he makes an excellent point though. If you if you have your feet, if you the, the standard thing is this is where you put your heels on your sport bike uh, pegs and you hang your toes off into space on either side. Oh, is that what he's talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's what he's talking about. I with thought the feet it was, pointing down. I thought it was just you know 
you hang your feet off the bike. And oh, just, I do that all the time when I need to stretch out my legs. Yeah, that's what I mean. We all yeah. we do both do that. In which case, go to hell. Um, <laughs> if he's talking about you know putting your heels on your sport bike pegs and you know just hanging hanging your toes down, that is in fact very much the wrong way to ride a sport bike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the correct thing to do would be to put the balls of your feet. I mean, you'll notice next to your pegs on anything upright or sporty, there's like a metal plate there. That's there for a reason. You put the balls of your feet on pegs, mm-hmm. and then that plate is there to hold the rest of your foot off of the rest of the bike. Oh, okay. So that you know, and then you slide your foot forward to use the controls. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that also gives you better control, grips you better, yada yada yada. Do you get people in the class doing that? Uh, yeah, quite a bit. Um, we actually go over that a little bit to front, at the beginning because the real problem isn't so much the hanging feet out into space. Mm-hmm. The real problem is the ones who want to put their feet right next to the shifter or the brake. And accidentally apply it at interesting and exciting moments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the, <laughs> the balls of your feet go on the pegs. Now, the difference being on a cruiser, if your feet are out in front of you, then you probably want to put the heels of your boots on the peg and put your toes up and out to the side where they're not touching the controls. And if you have floorboards, you're just a lazy asshole. If you have floorboards, you put your feet on the floorboards and eat donuts and watch your TV or How some do you, shit. You can't fuck that up. <laughs> No, I'm just making very, 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 very slight turns. I tried floorboards for a while in the Volusia, and it was making me nuts. That thing dragged. I mean, that thing dragged pegs if you looked at it funny anyway. Mm-hmm. The floorboards were ridiculous. I had those fold-out, swing-out floorboards on the um, mm-hmm. M50. Yeah. They were all right. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think too much of floorboards. When we were test riding Harleys, it was kind of cool to have floorboards. Well, that was a different situation because yeah. the floorboards were built into the whole fairing of the bike and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That made a certain degree of sense, but, you know. Oh, did you see uh, um, Bug sent us the ad? Um, Harley's going to be doing demo days in May, I think. Yeah. You want to go down and do another? Let's hit it up. We could get sliders. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a band. Wow. <laughs> Do you guys have a band? Ooh, actually, you know what I would like to ride is maybe they have the 500s. The 500s? The new Harley Street 500s. Ooh. Oh, yes. Harley has a 500 and a 750 now. Really? Yes. Is it the, is it coming out of the, yep, that, that's that, them. Okay, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're apparently the parts are suspiciously Hoya Sungy. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But you know what? Hey. I think they that guy said um, they were just they were shipping them in and, and mm-hmm. assembling them here. And- yeah, well, they're, they're uh, the the I found out about it because I was talking with some of the other coaches and they're they're the people who do the Riders Edge uh, soon to be Rider Academy. Uh, are pretty <laughs> excited about these bikes because they're I mean they're super duper duper good trainers yeah. and they deliberately built them so that they can put they have these great big bright orange crash guards they put on them so they only fall over like so far <laughs> wow yeah i the, the their people love them the students love them you know cuz they're not huge and top heavy mm-hmm. um they and say the one thing about them that's really cool is they're deceptively light like mm-hmm. they look kind of beefy mm-hmm. but then you you start moving around and the things are just light as feathers so i, I imagine they're a better trainer than the the blast which oh, is god a torquey yes a torquey beast torquey single nothing 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 bam <laughs> 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 Suboptimal. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's the uh, best way. I that'd be kind of cool. If we uh, we can go there and ride some of those. Mm-hmm. I'd be mm-hmm. okay with that. Yeah, I think so. That's uh, May tenth, May eleventh. All right. Well, we'll hit it. listeners, the wheel nerds will try to be there. And they've got those sliders there. 
Bug says, maybe something you guys might enjoy in case you're not on the mailing list. And since it's so hard for Chuck to get a test ride anywhere but at the dealer, and fuck you. In, in fairness, the Harley dealership throws keys at us. It does. They we, do. It's because Chuck, Chuck has that kind of like, you know, that middle-aged smell about him. You know, it's not, it's like the old people smell, but not quite as bad yet. Said too much. Nobody likes you. <laughs> have you Somebody my, likes me. Have you noticed my girlfriend is in her 20s? Uh-huh. Oh, wait, that does make me a middle-aged guy. Yeah, I say, uh, so you're a middle-aged single dad. Uh-huh, and your girlfriend's in your 20s. Mm-hmm. Way to, way to, way to break the stereotypes, Chuck. And I, I just bought your, a, a dream bike. Uh-huh. And, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You're really, you're really going against the grain, aren't you? Crap. <laughs> Getting tattoos you didn't have. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. It's all coming together. Yeah. The whole picture is coming clear. Damn it. And people do like me. People oh. like me so much, apparently they're requesting me. Oh, okay. Steve writes, uh, Utah Rider Ed keeps failing to respond when I request ERC dates with the requirement of instructor must be Todd of Wheel Nerds fame, end quote. Can you reboot them in the head? <laughs> <laughs> uh, must be taught of Steve. If you get me in trouble, you know. In fact, even even if Steve doesn't get me in trouble, I know right now, right now, the bosses, <laughs> Dale, who is on the show, and his daughter, are preparing some new way to make my life a living hell you, over this. Now it sounds like Steve's just writing them. Steve, mm-hmm. you need to call them no, specifically don't, don't to do ask for don't. Todd. Please, wheel no, nerds fame. don't do that. You need to call. Don't don't be like the creepy you know, stalker people. Go straight to the boss. Ask for Dale. No. no. Or, or what's his daughter's name? Sarah. Sarah, ask for Dale or Sarah and be like, I I need Todd. Be my... T-. And he, you didn't... No. Steve's not the first guy to request you. No. No, probably All our not. listeners in Utah, if you want to go to utahridered.com, oh, God, call stop. them. No, don't do it. And ask for Todd's class. Oh, God. I'm going to be doing retests until the end of time. Don't email. Oh. Call. Oh, Todd, stay there for an extra hour and a half and retest cranky people. Please, no. Maybe one of them will ask for your autograph. Oh, Lord. That would be sort of cool. <laughs> as it was as it was last week, I did retests, and I got all Claire students. What? <laughs> yeah. Because Claire was teaching the week before. So all these students came to retest on their own bikes with me. Okay. And you're like, fail, fail, fail. Claire said fail, this. Claire said this. Fail, I'm like, fail. this is freaking me out right now. Fail. <laughs> oh, you had Claire? Fail. <laughs> Claire, yeah. fail. Yeah, don't don't be like the creepy. One of the, one of the problems, apparently, reading running a school is every once in a while there are some kind of kind of creepy students who creep on a particular instructor. Oh, yeah. After and, the class? Yeah, and they start, like, really start to, like, kind of stalk them a little bit. Or like, well, this is I be- was wanting to meet uh, Ralph for after. But this is before the class, you know. And yeah, this is yeah. specifically because of Will Nerd's fame. In, in fairness, I guess I get some sort of marketing bonus here, but I'm pretty sure I'm also going to get a total raft of shit, just on general principle. Completely worth it. <laughs> What do you learn, Todd? I've learned why buy an expensive bike when you could just make a bad mod to a bad bike and have something that looks vaguely like it if you squint right. What have you learned? I've learned that hope springs eternal. So do check engine lights. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. I have a new Ulysses. That's all we got time for this week. Until next week, I'm Todd. And I'm fuck you. (laughs) Ride safe, everyone. We'll see you next week.